Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Well, welcome to Group Talk. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda. I'm your host and the executive director of small groups at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, as many of you know, the small group network is not just North American, but is global. And we've, we have 117 huddles, which are gatherings of small group ministry leaders in um, 17 countries, with members representing more than 2,000 churches of all sizes, denominations, and spiritual traditions. But the one common bond that we all share is that we value small groups ministries as a way to develop biblical community. So I'm so excited today to have our first ever international guest on Group Talk with Pastor Mark Nam from Hong Kong, and we'll be discussing small groups in the international context and across cultures. So Mark, thank you so much for being on the program. That's my pleasure. Uh, thank you for the, the intro. I learned so much about small groups every time you do that. <laughs> I, think we can, I think we can thank uh, Ron Wilbur, who I know is your contact. He's our volunteer who works with our international pastors, and he was so passionate. And I have to tell you, Mark, how this came about was he had had a long conversation with you, and he was so fascinated. And he sent me an email right away saying, oh, my goodness, I found you your first international guest. You need to talk to this guy because God is doing some amazing things in their church and through their ministry. And so he was super excited. And as usual, he's usually correct. So here you are. But thank you so much for your time. Uh, pleasure, absolute pleasure. It's great to be here. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Mark. Uh, Mark is the community life pastor at the Vine Church, which is, which is an international church in Hong Kong. He's originally from the UK, where he graduated from the University of Wales with an honors in law. And Mark, in 2007, began working at the Vine as a worship pastor, and he recorded three albums with Integrity Music under the um, Vine Band and was instrumental in establishing a worship Central Asia, which was kind of a school of worship originating from the Holy Trinity Brompton in London. I probably totally butchered that. <laughs> no, that was fine. That was very, very good. Yeah. Um, in the past three years, more relevant probably for our purposes, super impressive, the, the worship stuff, um, Mark has been responsible for the spiritual development and care of the Vine small group communities that meet across Hong Kong, Kowloon, New Territories, and the Outlying Islands. And he also spearheads Family Life, which is a ministry of the Vine that aims to bring practical teaching and training that are focused on Christian uh, values to families. So, wow, Mark, you've had a few big transitions in your career. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of your story with us, um, what, what prompted the first career switch from law to vocational ministry? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I was, I was doing law. I'd done the bar exam in Hong Kong, and I was engaged at the time. She's now my wife. You'll be glad to hear. <laughs> and, and it's funny. When we were praying about the type of life, the type of community that God wanted us to, to, to really live in, uh, to be part of, it became very clear that me doing law, the way that I did law, the hours I would have to work, wouldn't be compatible. Yes. That was one thing. Um, you know, and I've just done six years of study, paid for it all. Um, but at the same time, the church, the Vine Church, uh, was a lot smaller back then, and we're beginning to grow. And at that time, I'd been volunteering a lot. And they were saying, Mark, you know, we'd really, really like someone like you uh, to come on board. So there was that. And thirdly, um, I just really wasn't enjoying um, 
the work environment in Hong Kong as compared to the UK, mm-hmm. where I'd come from. So all things considered, we were able to lay down uh, <laughs> that, that law path. My wife also studied law, but she laid it wow. down too, became a teacher instead. And what we really feel is we've been able to, to live a life that we feel God wants us to lead, particularly having the time to do community. So that's why I switched. Uh, wow. Switched. Well, you may not know this about me, so I was a former lawyer. I totally resonate. Um, practicing oh, law in the U.S. is is pretty grueling as well, um, and it wasn't mm, compatible mm. With, um, with raising children. So there's definitely some changes there. Okay, now that transition I get. Um, now the transition from worship pastor, which, you know, in our churches tends to be kind of a high-profile, exciting, plus you were recording artist, <laughs> um, mm. to go from that switch from music to a spiritual discipleship role. Um, what prompted that change? Yeah, I'd love to share about this. Um, so this was around 2008, 2009. Our church has grown, and I'm doing the, the lion's share of worship leading. It looks very much, I imagine, like it does in, in North America or in America, where you have a, have a platform, you've got a band. Right. And you have your worship leader up front, center. And all of a sudden, as I was leading worship, I'd have my eyes open. I began seeing people glowing, hmm. glowing in our congregation. I don't think it was uh, literal. It was in my mind's eye. Um, and it wasn't the lighting from above. But... But I realized that God was highlighting some people to me. And I asked him why, and I'd, he didn't answer. God was asking for me to look and discern and to see. And over a number of weeks, I realized these people that were highlighted, that were on my heart, um, they were like this. They were either uh, very poor people. We, we have a lot mm-hmm. more poor people coming into our church as we've grown. Uh, many of them are foreign domestic workers. Hong Kong uh, has a lot of um, foreign domestic workers from places like the Philippines and Indonesia Bye. coming here for work. Uh, we've, we've also had a surge in refugees. I don't think this is particular just to Hong Kong. You know, I look at the news, I see what's happening around the world. Sure, especially uh, in Europe. Europe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's close to my heart. Um, but other people were glowing as well. People who sat towards the back of the church. Mm. They might be a little bit older, and I definitely know they find the music too loud. <laughs> we, uh, we totally get that. <laughs> and, and, and finally, I just, we've also we've always been an English-speaking international church, predominantly expat, but over the last few years, we've attracted a lot of um, local Hong Kong Chinese. And so these people were glowing. And I asked God, what, what, why are they, they glowing? And what I began to see was this. These people don't necessarily come to church because of the worship mm-hmm. of which I'd rooted myself in and even perhaps had my identity in too much. They weren't there necessarily for the great preaching. You know, the Vine has been known for its Sunday service experience being very strong. But here are people who might not understand the English so well, so it's a bit difficult. There are some people here who are poor, and yeah, they feel a bit awkward sitting next to people in business suits. You have people who find it too loud, all right? People who feel socially awkward. And yet, God said to me, these people, they have a resilience that I'm after. In fact, these are, and this is the, the, the line he gave me, and this is what really broke me, these people will be the living stones that I'll build my church with. Wow. And once I had that revelation, it was very hard for me each week to continue leading in a way where I wasn't able to connect personally with these people. By the time I pack up the stage, pray with the worship band, they're often the first to leave. Right. Yeah, so I talked to my senior leadership and over a process of about a year and a half, began a transition from overseeing the worship and creative arts going into a relatively new sphere of ministry for the vine in a sense that we hadn't really focused on it before. Mm -hmm. I felt God was calling us to begin focusing more intentionally 
on community. And finally, a picture that, 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 that solidified it for me was out of King David. Um, you know, worship leaders will often want to liken themselves yes. to David, <laughs> the heart of David. Um, but what I began to see was he started his ministry his work, uh, in the courts with worship. Yes. But that was just the beginning. It was just the beginning. God broke his heart for the nation and he moved into other areas. And, and from this point onwards, when I speak to young worship leaders, uh, I remind them the stage, the platform, the high profile that you, met, you yourself mentioned, this is just the beginning to something I believe so much more rewarding. Uh, and wow. that, that was a step into community. Wow. Oh my gosh, that's so moving and so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so let me ask you, in some ways, worship is, I don't want to say easier, but it's um, more controlled. Like you step up to the platform, you do your thing, and you pack up and you go. Okay. Yeah. Discipleship, small groups, community, really messy. It's not a defined space. It's not a defined period of time. It's all kinds of people and all kinds of situations. Um, and then to try to build community in a diverse population. Now, what's that experience been like over the last three years for you? It's been quite um, interesting. Um, I spent um, a, a few months working at a church in London called Holy Trinity Brompton prior to, to the Vine. Um, you might know it as a church where Alpha was launched. Oh, wow. There was a, right. yeah, there was a worship leader there, um, Tim Hughes. He wrote a lot of famous songs. Um, and he was a worship leader there. And it's interesting. I had a chat with him one day. And he said, um, he said all of the, the vicars here, so they have vicars. He goes, Mark. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> he goes, go find out how they began their ministry. And over the course of my time there, I got to meet many of their vicars and clergy. And I was astonished to find that many of them began life in worship. Hmm. not necessarily the community areas and ministries. And when I reconnected with Tim, he looked at me and he said this. He said, when you're leading worship, you're shepherding people into the presence of God. Isn't that really the heart of a pastor, to shepherd people? And what I didn't realize at the time, but it's now public knowledge, is Tim Hughes was studying for ordination into the Church of England to become a vicar. <laughs> and he had that heart to shepherd people in, in, I would call, a more intimate way than leading corporate worship, because that, that's what my role is now as a community life pastor. And, you know, you really get to walk amongst the sheep, so to speak, and yes. the smell of, of the sheep. So when I started this new role, um, I honestly felt that perhaps I'd bitten off more than I could chew. Um, I remember sitting down on my first day with an A3 piece of paper, because I had a blank sheet for my leadership to start this whole community thing. I wrote out everything I thought an excellent small group ministry could be. You know, I wrote down lots of stuff. I wrote down so much stuff, I needed another piece of paper. <laughs> I kept writing. And by the time I had exhausted all of the knowledge and wisdom that I had, right. that I had gleaned over the years, I sat back and looked at this paper. And the first thing I felt was complete. I was completely overwhelmed. Yes, we, we've all been the there with that experience. <laughs> yes. Right. And it really has been a journey of, of, um, of really humility, I think, for our church in building community. And, and one of the, I think, the blessings or the strengths of the vine is we've built our small group um, community at the same time that we've experienced this influx of refugees, local Chinese and poor. We didn't necessarily have a strong, solid structure that would, we'd have to deconstruct. And that can often be more difficult to do. Sure. So we found ourselves in a unique position where, we were, where we've been building small group community uh, in and around a very 
diverse community. And, and that's allowed a, a bit more freedom. It's also, we've also been given a lot more grace <laughs> from our senior leadership. And, you know, hopefully today I can share just some of the successes, but also some of the mistakes that we've made uh, in doing this, particularly in Hong Kong. Yeah, so you're building a diverse community and your church is pretty diverse. And that can be really challenging in, um, in, in trying to build a community in small groups. Now, let's kind of step back for a moment and speak more broadly. Um, you've been in small group communities in England, in Wales, in Hong Kong. You, you're familiar with China, the outlying areas. Have you found yeah. that, that there's much difference in terms of um, the vision or strategy for small groups communities in those areas? Um, or is it there's there one like common vision that all these um, areas, regardless of the culture, kind of share, um, and then maybe just implement it differently? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, what well, I think. Let me re- recount a little story, and it's about a small group huddle. Funnily enough, so <laughs> a guy called Dan Tupps introduced us to the small group huddle idea when Steve Gladen came out one year to Hong Kong, which was a great trip. Um, and I'm sitting in a room of all these small group pastors. Uh, from Hong Kong. And we were going around recounting uh, just some of the ways that we do small groups. And and I sat there and I was very interested to to hear the same names and resources popping up time and time again. So one guy would say, oh, I follow this book by Steve Gladen. It's brilliant. And everyone (laughs) nods. And then uh, then someone else goes, well, I use a slightly different one, but it's by Rick Warren. Right. All right. Someone else might pull one in from Bill Hybels. But I noticed that all of these resources and all of these... um, structures and, and, and discipleship paths were basically North American. Yes. All right, which are really it's good. It's unfortunate, yeah. Yeah, but I sat there thinking, look, there's about 30 or 40 years of theological school training in this room, and I'm not hearing anyone share what they have discovered, what they have developed mm. in their context, wow. which is helpful for the rest of us. And, and so, you know, I was able to kind of, kind of open up the discussion and saying, well, let's put those aside and let's really begin sharing what, what we are finding um, is unique to our city and the solutions we've got to. So to answer your question, um, I think one of the keys was really identifying um, the uniqueness of being in an international city like Hong Kong, as opposed to a setting like America or the UK. Um, when I was in the UK, um, as part of the Anglican church, <laughs> we had this notion of parishes. So it doesn't matter where you are, you find out where your local parish is, and that's the church that you go to. And the UK is bigger than Hong Kong, so you you don't really have the option, really, to go to other churches because they're spread out a bit more. Right. This is your community, for better or for worse, you (laughs) wed to it, you commit to it, and and community really builds. In an international city like Hong Kong, from from my um, experience, we don't people don't have this concept the notion of parishes no so at the vine we have people traveling from all over hong kong to come we even have some people traveling over the border from china wow. to come to our church now that's that's nice it, it can even puff you up you think wow this is great but in reality it makes forming community yeah. in people's communities really difficult because if someone doesn't like what's going on here they can go to a church over here or over here. So that was one, um, one factor that we had to build. That Well, how do we create that community feeling, people feeling like they're committed right. to a particular group? Yeah. How, how does, okay, now Hong Kong is mostly affluent, right? Or at least that's the image it has. It's a more affluent community. Um, mm. 
And so what are some challenges kind of unique to that, being in an affluent international community? Maybe others would be like maybe Singapore, Shanghai. I'm sure there's there's more and more of these that are um, popping up, especially in the East. Did you find some challenges unique to those um, affluent communities? Yeah, absolutely. I think, as you're right, Hong Kong is is, is an affluent city. It's a, it's a hub of business. Right. And so a lot of um, people who attend our church um, – travel here from abroad because they're attracted to the business opportunities. So number one, you have people who are away from their main support structure. Their families. Which is family. <laughs> yeah. So that's a factor. Number two, the reason, the number one reason they've probably come to Hong Kong, not totally, but most of the time, is because of the career experience. They only expect to be here probably two years or three years, depending on the contract. Wow. If that's, if that, if that's the priority. You're getting people who may not be prioritizing community. Sure. I'm coming here for a few years to work really hard, make some good money and head home. So you have to break through those barriers too. And finally, I would say this, um, people are working in the, in the central districts of Hong Kong. It's like in, in Japan, they'll gravitate to certain areas of Hong Kong where they don't live, where they work. By the time they finish working late at night, because we're an international hub working at the time zones, right. by the time they, they return home, it could be 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Now, if we're running small groups in the evenings... <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> they won't get there on time. Yeah. So we realize that people can't even get to the small groups that we even set up yeah. in their areas. And we had to think of solutions for that as well. So what did you do? That seems like a pretty major problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we haven't done too much, but we've had two, two approaches that, that we're finding are being embraced by our international community. Number one, um, we set up a lot of midweek business-type community meetups. So businessmen and women can meet for lunch um, oh, okay. for an hour or two, and, and they find that that breaks up their week quite nicely. But one of the things we're excited about is this new concept we've developed uh, called centralized, centralized small groups. And what, our church recently completed a building project. It was five years and we moved right into the center of Hong Kong. Wan Shai, where we're based, is as pretty much central into the island as you can get. Wow, okay. Uh, and that was a call on us to be, to be in our neighborhood to do community. But what's great is we have a big facility. And uh, on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays, we run centralized groups. And what are they? These are several small groups that meet on one evening mm-hmm. that meet under the care of what some would call a zone leader. Right. And what we found is these busy business people are already in the area. So they can come straight after work, get plugged in to groups within the church and really experience uh, connection, you know, known and being known sure. uh, within the church. Now, originally, I, I, I wasn't sure about it because I, <laughs> I, I have the orthodox traditional view of home groups. Right. Because you I read want... the books. So you understand exactly. the value. <laughs> Exactly. For all of those reasons, let's meet in people's homes. People can be vulnerable. People can share food, all of that stuff. But for our context, we found that it wasn't practical. And so we found some really great zone leaders, you know, real spiritual parents who look after four or five groups in the evenings at the church. And they're creating an environment that's very family for these people who are very transient. And, and, you know, we measure it by the fruit. I'm getting testimonies of people saying, I've been at the church for three, four years, and for the first time, someone knows me. Oh, or for the first awesome. time, I feel like I have an, an accountable prayer partner. 
So we're really seeing God move, even though it's not so traditional. And the thing, I mean, you, you, that's such a great example. In whatever context uh, we find ourselves, um, those models are good starting points, but they're rarely the best endpoints unless you're the church that adopted that model and developed it. Uh, usually you do learn principles and then you adjust and, and you have to go where your people are. So if your people are working, um, it's great that you've adjusted it to make it centralized, to make it convenient, to remove those barriers, whatever those barriers may be, um, to develop community there. One of the things you said that's interesting and, um, earlier was that you have an influx of refugees and domestic mm. workers. Now, uh, talk to us some about how that's impacted the small groups ministry. I'm assuming they're not segregated into separate groups, right? So they're integrated into the whole, or have you... Um, figured out how to build community um, with across the whole church, including the people that are often marginalized. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you, you said that you assume they're not separate. Um, but what, what's been quite interesting, um, particularly with our foreign domestic workers, is for as long as they've been at the church, they have really valued their own fellowship time. Oh, interesting. Now, now, now we've done everything we can, and we've encouraged them to, to kind of be part of, of the church, but, but we've realized with our foreign domestic workers that a lot of their issues um, are very, very intense and very unique. Let me just give an example to illustrate my point. Um, a lot of these ladies, and the mostly ladies, have left their country, have left their family, haven't seen their children for three to four years. Oh. Uh, are you okay there with your mic? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so, viewers, just so you know, we're actually doing a video. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I can see everything Carolyn's doing. <laughs> I was trying to hide the mic thing. I'm trying to out new equipment. It's it's a bit of a struggle. <laughs> but yes, yeah, sorry, you sorry to distract you. Um, but but a lot of these ladies, they're away from their their children. Um, very sadly, if they're away from their husbands for a number of years, um, marital issues happen. Sure. Uh, infidelity. Uh, if, if you're familiar with Hong Kong, you'll know that apartments are very small. It's hard to do small groups, small apartments. Uh, and where they live, they haven't got the best living conditions. So you have a demographic of, of workers who are under a lot of stress, emotional, physical, um, uh, and spiritual. And when you talk to one of these, um, usually ladies, when they open up, a flood of issues come out. Sure. Like deep, deep ministry where healing is needed. Um, and in some ways... It's very hard for them, we've realized, to feel comfortable in, in a small group. They don't want to be the project that is worked oh, on okay. in a small group. So they enjoy their, their, own, um, fellowship. their own fellowship, their own ta- Tagalogs. Now, when we asked them, would you like your own ministry? This was interesting. They said, no. Huh. We, don't, we don't want to be a separate ministry because then we're separated. But we do want to integrate under small groups at the Vine. Because we have a very strong uh, DNA, core values, sure. that go across all of our different expressions. Sure. And they said, that in itself, we feel part of. You know, you have uh, young people's groups, you have professional groups. Uh, yeah, you know, we don't mind being foreign domestic worker groups. Um, but we want to come under small groups and not a separate ministry. So for us at The Vine, small groups has become um, a, a way that, diverse communities feel accepted. We're not shoving them out as a separate ministry. Sure. The minute we, we do that, they feel like, oh, we're a work project or we're not really right. part of the church. So that's helped with our foreign, foreign domestic workers. And talking of core values, 
I won't go into what ours are. That could be another discussion. But all of the groups at the Vine, all the different expressions of community, super diverse, but have similar core values. And one of the core values is community. All right. What is your expression of community? How do you hang out? Mm-hmm. Young people might go bowling. The married people's group might do cheese and wine, whatever. <laughs> but the leaders always have in their mind that they're trying to um, live out these values in the life of their group. And when the, the, the foreign domestic worker leaders connect with other small group leaders, they have a discussion. How could we do community together? Or how could we do another core value, discipleship or mission sure. together? And what we found is by having a common shared vocabulary, sure. very diverse groups can collaborate very naturally. It's brilliant. We're all off the same page. And so rather than um, kind of pluck people from one place and drop them in, mm-hmm. hoping that intimacy happens, you know, intimacy requires the Holy Spirit, it's chemistry. Sure. Rather than trying to force it to happen, we're allowing the groups to form on their own, to build their own character, but they share the same values. And when the leaders meet and say, let's do something together, all of these different people come together with a shared goal, a shared vision, and then you see relationships form. And it's been a beautiful thing to see unfolding in our church. That's amazing. There's so much, Mark, from what you said that is so applicable to um, small group ministry in any context, really. You talk about adaptability. You talk about actually asking the stakeholders, the people, what do you want, um, instead of, you know, Assuming that integration, and this is very much an American mindset because, you know, our history with segregation mm. um, is that yeah. always you always want to integrate. But um, I think we've found that when people want a place to belong, it doesn't necessarily mean um, that, they, that they are plucked into something and forced to integrate. It's more of what they're comfortable with. Yeah, I think uh, what, what, we had a, a key scripture come to us that really gave us that conviction. It's, it's Luke 19. It's the story of where Jesus approached Jerusalem. All right, 1941, he does four things in one sentence. It says he approached Jerusalem, there's an approach. He saw the city, he saw, he wept over it, right. and then he spoke. So he approached, he saw, he wept, and he spoke. And I think um, in the past, and many churches even today, make the mistake of only doing the first and the last step, which is he approach a situation, here we have some refugees, so here we have, right. and then they speak or they do. Right. They do what they think. Rather than Jesus had those two steps in the middle, he saw, hmm. and then he wept. And we've spent a lot of time with the leaders of these different communities that have come in, be it refugees, African, East Asian, you know, um, and we've sat down with them, we have breakfast with them, and, and as, you, as you said, we listen, and actually we weep with them. Hmm. And then it's through um, mutual agreement that we work out how to build our community. So it takes a little bit longer. For sure. It's not a quick fix, but we've, we found it, um, we found it to, to, um, to be worth it, I think. Yeah, we like what, Jesus' model. What about, um, I, I love that model. Um, oh, that's a great takeaway. Um, I must, I, I'm picturing that you have all kinds of people, different language groups, different experiences, different socioeconomics. Um, have mm. you found there to be, conflict or just tension between the different groups. Um, I know from leadership, sounds like you guys do a great job listening and ministering to them. But within the body itself, is, has there been some tension to work through or have you needed to do a process, any kind of reconciliation process? Yeah, interestingly, it, it, the stress hasn't necessarily come between the different um, communities. 
because that's where we, we'd figured that's where the tension would be. It's yeah. actually come from within. So like I said, when you, when you take the step of slowing down and listening and, and seeing, there's actually a lot more internal problems within the individual communities themselves. Uh, let me give an example. On, on Wednesdays, we have our African refugees come together. They have a big kind of service, but they break into small groups. And what we didn't realize was there are many different um, tribes represented. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? Uh, eight or nine. Same with our, our Filipino um, domestic workers. There's about four different regions represented, you know, the, the hillside ones, the, the ones by the shore, the ones right. in the city. And there's wow. actually real great tension in there. And so before we even think about, you know, how they're connecting with the wider church, so <laughs> We, we, we've spent a lot of time working on reconciliation, on healing and forgiveness in there. And we found a lot of healing coming within that group in themselves first. And, and that's been a focus for us. And, and what we do at The Vine is we, we build community with them. We do small groups with them. They learn to do small groups in, you know, amongst themselves. But what's great then is that, that small group, as I said earlier on, core values, DNA, sure. vocabulary crosses over when they're integrating with the rest of the church and ultimately the banner we all come under you know is is out of christ and he said i will build the church so so we let him kind of worry about the systems (laughs) but he said you make disciples and so at the vine we have this saying we're about growing big people no matter what small group you're in or community you're in you know that the vision at the vine is that you would grow we'd grow big people not a big church and we're focusing on the ones, on the individuals. We've just found that as people understand the Father's love, they have the love for others. And so we haven't experienced as much tension amongst different groups as we might have anticipated at the beginning, because God's doing a work in their hearts, I believe. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, we're almost out of time. And I did want to ask you this final question, though, Mark. Um, how could we, in our North American context, how can we be praying and supporting um, these fast-growing regions? I mean, clearly, the mm. gospel is moving away from this part of the world um, very much into yours. Um, and how can we be more supportive of um, what's going on in, in Asia and beyond? Um, and the kind of work you're doing, it's just, it's, I think that we're going to hear a lot more of that um, than mm. kind of the models in the books. <laughs> Thanks. That's a really good question. I hadn't really thought about an answer for that one. But I'd like you know, to throw I, a zinger I, once in a while. <laughs> you do. Um, you know, it, it means a lot to know that, that people, you know, on your side of the world are praying for our church, but more so that you'd be praying for the church, the capital C sure. in Asia. Um, one of the things that is on the heart of our, of our church is, is, is justice. Um, so we've been running the Justice Conference Asia for a number wow. of years. It, it's, ha- it's actually happening uh, this coming month again, uh, Justice Conference Asia. And I think an area of, of prayer need for us is, is to have prayer for, for our governments, mm. for the way that the church and the government work together and wrestle this idea of justice, you know, we've talked about a lot of refugees and displaced people recently, and you don't need to know the stats. They're out there. You can Google them. But we're seeing a lot more um, of these people just cut, of this movement around the world. And I, I actually believe that, you know, NGOs can do so much. Um, governments can do so much. But I really have I really believe that God has chosen the church to be a big part of a solution. 
you know, in dealing with people. And I would say that's an area I'd love to see more dialogue, more conversation, more prayer in. You know, I think about Jesus at the age of two, he was forced to flee, to flee to Egypt. You know, that sounds like a refugee to me. I know that all of this stuff, this so-called crisis that we're dealing with, I know that God already knows it. Sure. I know his son has experienced it. I know it's in his word. I know he has a plan. But I really feel a season is coming where, as a, as a global church, we need to start addressing these issues of justice. And the church needs to start thinking hard about how, how we integrate these people into our church. One final thing. I'm not talking about things like just advocacy sure. and, and providing money. As churches, we're very happy to do that. But I think God is calling us not to open our wallets uh, but to actually open our hearts, to open our families. And I love that Pope Francis, uh, I think in February, made a call out to the European church, not just the Catholic church. And he basically, um, in St. Petersburg Square, made a plea. He said, churches, would you adopt, would you open your families, your, your churches, to these people? So that, that's an area I would, I would love, I'd appreciate just prayer in. And please pray for Hong Kong. And thank you for serving um, as a small group network. Um, Just give us a quick plug on what um, challenges you guys are facing with the network um, out in Hong Kong and kind of in those areas, in your huddles. What are you guys talking about in your huddles? (laughs) Um, Most of the time in the huddles, I think we just want to support and love one another. You know, it's nice to know that you're not standing alone. Exactly. Um, I think in in Hong Kong, an international city, we get very busy. So we don't naturally tend to reach out so quickly because we've got a, a to-do list to do. Sure. Um, so I, I think one of the struggles for our huddle is just being able to meet as regularly as, as we ought to, as, as we want. I think the desire is there, but, sure. you know, on the practical day-to-day, we don't get around to it. So, yeah, but we know it's a good thing. Yes. And one thing we've mooted is having a conference at some point when we feel ready to bring our churches together to talk about some of these issues that we've discussed today. That would be awesome. And, you know, that busyness and not meeting as often as we'd like, I think that's epidemic across the world. <laughs> so it's great, though, that um, you get you are part of the network. And thank you so much for your wisdom. A lot to think about and unpack. Um, and just bless you, bless the vine, bless the ministry that God's doing in Hong Kong. So if you'd like to follow... Um, Mark, you can actually interact with Mark on the Facebook group page. Um, when this podcast uploads, yeah. you'll be able to ask him more questions. Um, you you can interact with him as well. And are you on Twitter? Or I'm trying to think if you're on any social media. Yeah, I am on Twitter. It's simply at Mark Nam, one word, M-A-R-K-N-A-M. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. So you can follow him on Twitter as well. And you can go on um, the Vine website and look at, they've got a, a cool page, look at what's going on over there as well. So thank you so much, Mark. God bless. Um, thank you all for listening to Group Talk. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.